the Kyperion Commentary Podcast, where each week we have a discussion with a Kyperion contributor or guest about a published article or a current event. This is episode 54, Conversation About Lint. And today I am joined by my very good friend and the pastor in Pensacola, Florida, Yuri Brito. Yuri, how are you doing today? Dustin, always a joy to talk to you, brother. Yuri, my guess is you did not give up podcasting for Lent because you and I are talking right now, uh, and we are talking about Lent and uh, maybe about the the church calendar a bit more broadly. Uh, Did you grow up celebrating the church calendar? No, not at all. I think I first began to interact with the church calendar late in my college years, and it was through... Presbyterianism that I was first introduced to what the calendar was. So it was a mm. much, much later, uh, you know, thought in uh, in my theological journey. And what was it when you encountered the church calendar? Did you think, were you turned off by it? Did you think it was foreign and alien? What, what was your feeling when you first encountered it? I was actually immediately attracted to it. Uh, the idea of putting the Christ life into a pattern throughout the year was something very attractive to me. I grew mm-hmm. up in a kind of tradition where it was a you know a verse here, a verse there, and uh, during the Lenten season, you know, it would have been just as likely the pastor would be preaching a you know a, a, a an incarnation sermon, um, and so there wasn't any kind of pattern or any kind of sense into the way my tradition viewed the year itself. And um, then I realized after coming to the U.S. that pastors here in the United States put a tremendous emphasis on national holidays. Hmm. And they were in many ways bound to a kind of calendar, but it was certainly not the church calendar. You know, it's so interesting because I teach at a high school and what strikes me is the rhythm of the school calendar, just waiting for summer, waiting for midterm, waiting for final and so forth. Right. It really does regulate your being. I mean, it, it's it's a very, very powerful force and it uh, it tunes you to a certain rhythm of the school calendar. And so what the option isn't between rhythm and no rhythm, it's between a uh, Christian rhythm and something else, school rhythm, Mother's Day, Father's Day, uh, some sort of just sort of secular rhythm, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there is always a competition. There is always alternative rhythms to the year. And in the creation account itself, we see God already putting the world that he created into a kind of Hmm. pattern, you know, evening and morning, the first day, evening and morning, day two. And he gave the sun and the moon and the stars. So there is a an obvious creational pattern that I think is just part of the human way of living and existing as image bearers. And so there, there's an, uh, an inescapability to the calendar. Um, so the question is, what calendar then shall we as Christians submit to? How then shall we calendar would be the name of a great book in the Schaeferian tradition. Uh, <laughs> yes, I agree. I, I will tell you a little bit about how I got uh, introduced to uh, the church calendar, and it was through appropriately Lent, and it was so different than, you know, you came came in it through Presbyterians, and a lot of people 
come to it through interactions with Anglicans or Roman Catholics. And uh, I interacted with it at Boyce College, a Baptist um, Christian college in Louisville, Kentucky, the undergraduate school at Southern Seminary. Uh, There's a great books professor there who's still there, uh, Jim Warwick, um, an incredibly wise uh, person and a George Herbert scholar. He's written a book, uh, a book uh, on George Herbert Uh, and in his class and not someone who would at all be be accused of being, you know, on some sort of slippery slope towards Catholicism or something, a very comfortable and uh, and settled Baptist. But in, in his great books class, it, we read the poem by George Herbert Lent. Have you ever read that? I have, actually. It is absolutely beautiful. It, it's beautiful. And the first lines of it, and I'll butcher it now, but it's something like, uh, Jesus says fast, the church says now. And it goes on to just say... Um, to basically give this, you know, very Augustinian ethic that, you know, insofar as the church isn't commanding you to do something God forbids or forbidding you from doing something God commands, insofar as it's a good and something that Jesus told you to do, use, though Jesus doesn't say what time to fast, he doesn't say now. He says, if the church asks you to fast during this particular time, it is a good, right? The fasting is a good. It's something you're told to do. Uh, and he basically says, why not use it as an opportunity uh, to learn submission and to uh, to be in fellowship with your brothers and sisters? Anyways, in that class, and I was still Baptist at that point, uh, but in that class, uh, the poem just made such immense sense to me um, that this is sort of a rhythm of the church. And it's, you know, fundamentally uh, what we agree with with all Christians, Baptist, Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, you know, you name it, is that we're supposed to fast. And this gives us an opportunity to enter into uh, that command of Christ. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and by the way, for our listeners, there is a great article that was just published a couple of days ago on Kyperion called Herbertian Lessons for Lent. So if you haven't seen it, Dustin, huh. it's written by uh, Brian Daigle, who is the headmaster of uh, Secular Classical Academy. And he goes through that poem uh, quite thoroughly. Anyway, that's a I I think uh, I, I think one way I think a lot of people come to appreciate the seasons of the church is perhaps through the means of literature and poetry. That that was your exposure, and I've heard a lot of people have the same yeah. kind of commentary about their introduction to that. And this season, of course, brings out the all the curmudgeons. You know, it brings out. Uh, uh, a lot of very cranky people to the internet. And one of their main frustrations, I read this recently by someone who was completely frustrated by the fact that every year in his evangelical church, he's hearing more questions from parishioners about why are we doing this and what's the basis for it? Can I get involved in it? And a lot of ministers are becoming rather frustrated with their parishioners. Where do you see the, this emphasis? Why do you see this rise in interest in the calendar in the United States? That's a great question. I'm here in Dallas, and the Village Church, uh, which is pastored by Matt Chandler, is a yeah, large— that's right. I, yeah, I, I just saw this this week, yeah. Yeah, a large Southern Baptist church that's right. taking taking the church calendar very— uh, very seriously. And, right. um, you know, it's a great question as to why um, the church calendar and is becoming more and more popular with folks in the free church tradition. Of course, it's connected to uh, a, a rising interest in liturgy 
more generally, you know, I, I think probably what it is, is people realizing that their lives are set to a very, very, very hectic rhythm. And social media only exacerbates that rhythm. Our news cycle is, you know, two minutes long, right? Right, And, Right. And so the church calendar gives you a way to ground yourself on something like a human scale. It gives you sort of a human way to live. And so I'm sure there's some interesting religious sociology things at play that Barna can tell us about. But I think fundamentally, uh, social media is not a human rhythm to take upon ourselves. And the church calendar offers us something very, very uh, human. And what's more human than being hungry, which uh, which Lent typifies. And that's kind of what I wanted to ask you, too, is, uh, is about being hungry. I don't want you to, you know, have to parade your what you do during Lent or anything like that. But I wonder if you would share it with us a little bit what your Lent looks like as uh, as a person, as a, a father, and as a pastor. Well, that's a great question, and I think being in the in the Protestant tradition, we make it very clear to a congregation during the Lenten season that nobody is forced to do certain things. We're not imposing certain things on our mm-hmm. people. We're we're merely stating that it is highly beneficial and it has been beneficial throughout the church to do something unique in these 40 days in a way that's we're not able to do throughout the rest of the year. So the question is never, you know, what can't we talk about this beyond or prior to Lent? Well, the answer is of course you can. But as you know, as my old Professor Richard Pratt used to say, you can't say everything because when you try, you say nothing at all. And so I think that's what happens to a lot of people who have that attitude that why why can't we do this um, beyond the Lenten season or beyond this particular season? And so I, I tell my people, this is a very concentrated time of the year where the sermons and the hymns and our weeks, our Vesper services focus particularly on one great theme and a great theme indeed, which is the cross and the journey of Jesus as he gave his life for for the sake of the world. And so with that comes certain consequences. How do we meditate on the cross? What do we do when all the readings we're hearing in church are related to the crucifixion, to the life of Jesus, the Passion Week, and all that? And so there are certain practices that come with that. And for many uh, throughout the season, people have attempted various things. But I think that the central thing I try to communicate to my people and to my family is that this is a very unique time for us to reorient our affections towards Jesus. It's a concentrated time of meditation. And so for me over the years, I've you know I've given up certain things, but not just for the sake of giving up, but for the sake of taking up greater and better things in my life. And so as a family, we have a particular prayer that we read from St. Francis of Assisi every single morning before they go to school or before homeschooling starts here at home. And then we focus on a psalm that we read and talk through throughout all 40 days, except for Sundays, of course, which is a something interesting for our listeners who are being introduced to the Lenten season that Sundays don't count in the 40 days of Lent. They're considered feast days. But throughout the week, we read through a prayer, we read a psalm, and then we sing a hymn or a song of the faith. And we do that every single day as a way of just gathering our minds together so that we have a united focus. And so that's a, a, at least a little bit. Um, and I, my congregation, they, there's all sorts of practices. 
which I encourage, um, which we, we offer our congregation to take up. And many of them do. There are some that are a bit skeptical, which I'm totally okay with. But I know for a fact that those who have taken these 40 days seriously uh, prepare uh, for the Feast of Easter, at least of what I've noticed, in a much fuller way than those who take these 40 days cavalierly, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I do think it will come as a surprise to uh, a, a lot of people that on Sundays you're, and you know, people do it different ways, but that Sunday's a feast day. So let's just say you're you're giving up chocolate for Lent. The idea is that on Sunday you would still have chocolate because it's uh, because it's a feast day. Why is Sunday always a feast day? Well, I think our Presbyterian friends would be pleased to know that <laughs> Sundays are um, a microcosm of the great resurrection of Jesus. So even during Lent, we're living the resurrection life. It's referred to as the Lord's Day, which is the day of the Lord, the day when the church has celebrated and remembered the resurrection of Jesus. So Lent doesn't invade our Sundays. Lent doesn't kidnap the resurrection. Uh, Sundays are feast days, and so we treat it with utmost joy. We open our champagnes, drink our wine, celebrate with our families, rejoice, and it's a way of preparing us for the Monday through Saturday pattern of the Lenten season. But we get, to, you know, I think even it's important for people who are listening to realize that the Lenten season ought not to be a, a time of misery, which is why it's punctuated by a Sunday of joy. But the Lenten season ought to be a time of greater reflection and contemplation so that when Sunday comes along, we realize precisely what we're aiming towards, where we're going, what's the trajectory of Lent. The trajectory of Lent is never more Lent. The trajectory of Lent is Easter Sunday. Mm, Beautifully said. Um, Just as we sort of wrap up here, are are there any books or helpful? You mentioned uh, uh, an article on Herbert on the Kuyperian website. I would point to two articles you've written on Kuyperian about the church calendar. I think one's called Let's Talk Church Calendar. The other is called 10 Reasons to Celebrate the Church Calendar. What else would you point our listeners to uh, vis-a-vis the church calendar and maybe Lent particularly? Well, that's a great question, uh, Dustin. I always would recommend that folks uh, pick up a copy of uh, Sister Joanne Shittister. It's called Liturgical Calendar, or the Liturgical Year. You can go on Amazon and find it. We can link it for our listeners. But that's a, a great summary of, uh, um, of the church year in a way that the laity can understand. And it's a great way for pastors to be able to explain to their church what, what's going on, what are the, the classic evangelical you know, feast days or seasons. And even beyond that, but I think that that's a good place to begin. Uh, my friend Rich Lusk has written a few things. Now I'll, I'll, I'll put that in our resource section after this show here. But I think there, there are so many great resources online. There are Lenten devotionals, there are Advent devotionals, and so if the listener wants to get a good introduction to what the calendar is, of course, just you know, just search church calendar on Kyperian.com and look through our resources. But I think what we're seeing these days is this revival of the church calendar. And so that, I think, explains what you're saying, is that this is not just no longer an Anglican, Presbyterian, Lutheran, 
or Catholic or Orthodox kind of thing is that it's pervading the entire evangelical ethos. And I think for a very good reason, I think the church is beginning to see from all traditions the fruit of what it is to think through the life of Jesus beyond merely just Christmas and Easter. You know, there's much more to the life of Jesus. I mean, I've heard people who have been in our church for, you know, for a year and say, I have never contemplated the ascension of Jesus because my pastor has never preached on the ascension of Jesus. My pastor has never preached a specific sermon on the Trinity. And so the church here also helps to um, train our people in righteousness, as in Lent and other seasons, but also train our people theologically to understand what the implications of the life of Jesus was for the church. And then we have this entire season called Pentecost or Trinity season which is the overflow of the life of Jesus into the church. And that tells us and teaches us what the church does, how the church lives out her mission. So not only do we get a gigantic portion of the life of Jesus, but we get approximately six months we're focusing particularly on the life of the church. So we get Jesus and the mission of the church. And so I think that's a holistic picture that I think can only benefit a congregation as they learn about uh, the scriptures. I'll add one more comment. In in many ways, uh, if it's true that the average congregant stays in the church for about three years, I can't imagine a better environment for them to be in than in a church where the calendar is taught, which means that in the process of three years, if you follow the liturgical calendar, you'll have gone through the life of Jesus three times, the glories and the mission of the church three times. Whereas if you were in a congregation that focused only exclusively on topical sermons or a very strict form of exegetical preaching, it's not unlikely that somebody who's in the church for three years will hear probably only the book of Romans, you know, uh, for three whole years. And so there's a greater benefit in that and that uh, people are very, uh, they move often, especially in the military, like here in Pensacola. And I think I want those who are here for a short time in our congregation to get a very healthy dose of the Bible throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. And our friend Peter Lightheart talks about micro Christendoms. And it is a healthy way, isn't it? For if someone was at the village church, a Southern Baptist church here, and then they moved to Pensacola and went to a Presbyterian church there or or whatever it is, it it is sort of uh, an expression of um, sort of micro-ecumenism, micro-Catholicity, uh, meaning it, it binds together all of these different churches and different denominations, different traditions, all being regulated and uh, and ruled by and put in a rhythm toward uh, the life of Jesus. It's an expression of Catholicity. Uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. I, yeah. I, I'm wondering <clears throat> often. Um, I think folks, when they think of the church calendar, especially those who have probably uh, are coming to the first time, they probably have this sense that this is a you know a Catholic thing, or as you mentioned this earlier, a slippery slope towards Catholicism. I think it's important to note, and I'd like to hear your thoughts, that there are unhealthy practices of Lent, right? Mm. And we need to yeah. keep in mind that various traditions do it differently. And yeah. there are, I think, dangerous forms of observing Lent, the yeah. very rigid forms where you're doing things as a way of perhaps 
uh, gaining the favor of God. But I think yeah. I think in response to that, we ought to, for evangelical churches who have not thought through these things, because something has been abused doesn't constitute an argument against it, uh, as Luther would say. And so I think we need to develop an evangelical perspective on these things where the gospel of Jesus remains central and where the joy of the Lord is also a part of everything we do. So we don't want to fall into the error of the Pharisees. We don't want to walk around sad and, um, you know, so we we want to develop a a view of Lent that is refreshing and contemplative in in the most beautiful way. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, the the analogy there, the Pharisees is so important, right? Because Jesus doesn't say, oh, look at these Pharisees fasting uh, with ash on their head and looking so gloomy and so forth. Um, Don't fast anymore, right? He says, you should still fast. That's right. But don't do it as the Pharisees. And so I think that is just a helpful uh, disposition to have uh, that says when you look at something being practiced unhealthily, it's sort of a sign of maturity to be able to parse out the baby from the bathwater and to say, um, okay, this is uh, being practiced wrongly, but the practice itself, the thing itself is, uh, as George Herbert said, it's something Jesus says to do. And I think that would be the thing I would just keep pointing to is that this is not some sort of extra biblical thing being put on the Christian. Uh, no, this is something Jesus told us to do. And it's, you know, it's kind of like deciding what time on Sunday you should meet. You know, um, your church may decide to meet at 10 or 1030 or 11, but it's a way to sort of organize your life together as a little church. And that's what the church calendar is on a big scale. It's to say, okay, Jesus told us to fast. Um, we don't have to do it this way. There's not, you know, a, a a verse that tells us uh, to to practice uh, Lent per se, but we're going to do it like this. This is the time frame in which we're going to do it, so that we regulate our lives around the uh, around the life of Jesus. So, you, but you're exactly right. Um, it's so easy to just be knee jerk defensive of every practice of Lent, right, or knee jerk uh, against all forms of Lent. And I think just a better way would be to step back and say. Uh, we don't want to do anything. Uh, we don't want to not do something Jesus told us to do. We don't want to do something Jesus told us not to do. But beyond that, uh, we're open to the church's um, shepherding or guiding. My pastor, uh, Philip Jones, likes to say that uh, the church doesn't go through time. Time goes through the church. Mm. And that this is a way of sort of redeeming the time of not just letting the days slip away but counting the days and regulating the entire world eventually, right? Every square inch of, of this whole world to bring it back to Guyper uh, is being redeemed. And the church calendar is one way. It's not the only way, but is one way in which we can redeem the time. Well said, Dustin. Well said. You know, I'll give uh, I'll give one resource, uh, maybe an unlikely resource. And uh, uh if you have a, a, a sensitive conscience or uh, a get squeamish around gore and so forth, uh, you may you may want to pass this up. But there's a movie on Amazon. Have you seen it? It's called Brawl and Cell Block 99. Have you seen that? No, I have not. It, uh, it has Vince Vaughn in it. And uh, it 
having watched it, and I won't give it give anything away. It is just this beautiful Linton reflection, and it uh, uh, there isn't you know. I mean, the I think it's probably rated R, but but all for gore. So sort of go in just knowing gore is the main thing. Um, but it is this beautiful reflection. It starts off not giving anything away, zoomed up on the back of Vince Vaughn's shaved head, and he has a cross on his head. And it's just a meditation on um, the way toward life is is to death, and uh, and and there are themes of the the crushing the head of the serpent and so forth. Anyways, it is amazing when you're, when you're in this rhythm of the church calendar, you become a little bit more attuned to, you know, I just happened to watch that movie during Lent and it is a way of sort of redeeming the time, right? Because now that is something very stirring and moving in me um, that I don't think I would be sensitive as sensitive to that theme. Were I not practicing Lent? That's a very interesting observation. I think, you also become hermeneutically self-aware. You begin to see the Bible apply to places you never imagined it would. You begin to see the world God created in mystery and in glory in places you never think you would. To use the line of an old friend, you begin to see the world through new eyes. And I think that's refreshing. I think it's refreshing for the church. It's reflecting for people around you. Um, I know that when I spend time with my friends at um, Theopolis, I always come back invigorated by the way we think through issues or movie watching. And I think what the Christian has given up, I think, is the Christian has given up this sense that the Bible speaks to more than they think it does. And so we tend to limit the hermeneutic of the Bible to only interpreting the Bible and the things that pertain to the church. When I think our biblical and might I add our Kyperian duty is to apply the hermeneutic of, of the Bible to all aspects of life. And I think that's one way we begin to redeem it. And the church calendar does that magnificently. We have talked about Lent. We've talked about the church calendar. We've said Kuiper twice. That's our quota. Our guest today has been Yuri Brito, pastor of Providence Church in Pensacola, Florida, author of several articles on the church calendar. Google them. Uh, visit Kuiperian.com to find out more and find links to today's episode. Dustin, always instructive, and I, I learned so much from you. I appreciate it, brother.